Thank you, Bob. It is uh, really great to be up here again. It's been a little while. And uh, I've talked about many things before, but this is something that comes directly from my heart. It's something uh, directly from my experience, both dramatically in the past three or four years, um, but really a lifetime uh, uh, building towards that. The topic is perspectives on fatherhood, and there are many perspectives. I'm going to attempt basically to speak from my own perspective and what and there have been several over the years, uh, and what I've seen and learned. And, and I also, this is such a personal topic, I look forward to hearing what you might like to share during the response period about your own experiences, both of being fathered and being a father, perhaps. So um, what I like most about this opportunity, is, though, is the chance to show my home movies and my slideshow of my kids. So, <laughs> so, so uh, all right, well. Excuse me. Um, so I, uh, um, I want to mention our, our, our 17-year-old son, 17-month-old, uh, um, did I say year? <laughs> How quickly they grow up. 17-month-old uh, um, uh, uh, um, wished us a happy Father's Day by waking up at 5 a.m. this morning. So I, uh, I made my topic, uh, my, uh, my font, a little larger to, uh, to read it this morning. So I think for me, I... I became a father in my 40s and was certainly a, a, a student of fatherhood long before I actually became one, uh, and largely a fruitful one, although I will also say that nothing like having kids to really be the ultimate crash course. But that's not to say that, that the life experiences and reflections can't do something to help prepare a person, and that certainly has been, has been true for me. What I want to mention also is, in, for the most of the talk I'd like to give this morning, I'm not going to talk about so much fatherhood per se. Probably more about parenting from my perspective. But I will return a little bit back to the, 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 the gendered question about fatherhood versus motherhood uh, towards the end. I think for me, as I looked about being a parent, I wasn't thinking of myself as being a man parenting, but more parent parenting, of course. Um, back in around the year 2000, um, I found myself sitting in a park in Palermo, Sicily, gazing up at a, a, a stately building called the Chiaramonti Palace, or the, the Italians pronounce it the Chiaramonti Palace. This was a name that my mother carried before she got married. It was her maiden name. Um, all four of my mother's grandparents emigrated uh, to the U.S. from Palermo. And I looking for a chance to get back in touch with my roots, I, uh, I volunteered when I was ready to ship out with the Navy anywhere in the U.S. or perhaps overseas, I volunteered to serve in Sicily at their, uh, uh, the Navy hospital uh, near Catania. And so a few years into my, into my time there, I finally made my way to Palermo. And unfortunately, the names of my mother's family, Canamante, uh, uh, La Cavera, are far too common in Sicily, and they hadn't kept contact with their relatives, so I couldn't, I couldn't track down my roots. Um, directly. But I wandered through the, 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 the ramshackle neighborhoods of Palermo um, just to get a picture of where they might have been. People who were doing well did not leave Sicily. People who were not doing well uh, um, were those who did. And so I went to the areas where they might have lived. And I found this landmark that carried the name of my, uh, my mother's uh, um, maiden name of her grandfather. And I thought about these roots of mine there. One of the things that was very dramatic to me as I visited Sicily and thought, wondered if maybe I was meeting some of, my, some of my relatives 
was the way that they treat children there. Um, probably true of all of Italy, but certainly Sicilians, they, they cherish their children, they nurture them, they, they, they celebrate them. Even if I was at a restaurant fairly late at night, like 9.30 or 10 o'clock p.m., I mean, they all take a long nap in the afternoon, so everyone stays up late. And, and they, they're passing babies around, from, and the kids are chasing each other under the, under the chairs. Just a wonderful celebration of childhood and just a, a wonderful supportive atmosphere. It was surprising to me because, for whatever reason, that, that style didn't follow my parents' relatives back to the U.S., I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was the hard life they led before or the tough life they led as new Americans after they got here. But it was a, it was a much harder view of children uh, as children being helpers or as someone who was in the way. And um, the saying my mother was a child was children are best seen and not heard. And she didn't want to carry that on. And she made a considerable effort to move beyond that with, I think, considerable success. And I wondered, you know, where did that come from and how did that happen? Unfortunately, I think that as I was growing up, the, the, I think every generation of my family has moved towards, I think, a more positive and humanistic view of children and the adults they might become. I think on my father's side, it was surprisingly equivalent, I think, I think kind of coming out of kind of a Calvinistic uh, uh, work hard, it will, 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 will raise you up um, kind of an approach um, that was also a very kind of a serious-minded attitude. Um, between the two, I think what I grew up in was an atmosphere where children are born, and maybe it's partly my parents' Christian faith, children are born kind of still carrying that, that, that taint of original sin, that children are not born good, but they be, can become good through hard work, through following the rules, doing what they're told. Uh, honor thy father and mother was, was a commandment that I heard a lot about growing up. <laughs> and, and it was definitely the message that, that is a process of, civiliza of civilization, becoming civilized. Um, and it certainly had an impact on me and how I, I thought uh, about uh, myself. Um, but through all that time, uh, um, I wondered if that was really the case. And in later years, after I had been to Sicily, years before I became a parent, I looked back on that and, and said, my roots didn't, didn't look like that. And, and maybe there's a way to get back to those roots. Um, so part of my growing up, and I've talked to enough, enough uh, other uh, um, young people of, not so young people of my age, uh, who were raised in that time, um, that I think the pattern that I that experienced was not so uncommon in the post-war years. I, mean, I was raised in the 60s and, uh, and early 70s, the, the, the pattern of the, the father who goes off to work, who has his own activities, who spends some interaction with the kids, but it's, it, it's of a greater distance. Um, I, I feel like there was perhaps a, a phase there that, that was a little different from what came before and, and what came after. But it was certainly true for, for my father. Uh, I saw very little of him. He was often away on weekends. He came home late in the in the evenings. When he was home on weekends, he had his hobbies. He liked to go golfing. Uh, and so a lot of the time I saw we, where the dinner table was probably the, 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 the one time I had a reliable time of seeing him if he wasn't on a business trip. And thank goodness the rule of uh, being seen and, and not heard was no longer in, in force because that was certainly the chance to really engage with him and, 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 and know him. Uh, 
And that also had an impact on what I thought of, uh, of fatherhood might look like, but also a sense of longing and wondering, you know, might there be uh, another alternative? In our family, as I was, I was noting earlier, there was a certain, this, this pattern of, of that good parenting is strict parenting. Uh, I think a ton, in the past we may have heard uh, from up here talking about styles of parenting and that the styles of parenting that te- you tend to find on the right side of the political spectrum tends to be the strong father pattern of parenting that, that, that has this kind of a strictness and you follow, the, you follow the roles very clearly. And that was certainly true in my own family. I definitely could relate um, to that pattern that I saw. There were strict roles, uh, rules. Um, negotiation, I think, was a sign of a weakening of the overall structure, and so negotiation was virtually non-existent. Um, I, I remember at one point, um, it was, there was a very, very important social event when I was in high school that happened on Good Friday. Uh, and I, I wrote a one-page thesis, which I gave to my father, explaining the, all the reasons why it was in keeping with the spirit of the season for me to engage um, with my friends. And I think it included something about the fact that I wouldn't have too much fun since it is a, a thoughtful day. Um, uh, successfully. And, and I, I'll, I'll tell you, having eventually found myself to Washington uh, helping work on policy papers, uh, that, that practice served me well. So, but you, can, you, you get a flavor of what was there. Very little was left to chance, a lot of, a lot of predictability, etc. Um, and we moved often. So unfortunately, I think that, that the, the, the counteract, counter uh, um, balance of having, having the mother side of the family having lots of connection and grandparents and, and relatives and neighbors wasn't really true because we moved every couple of years. So this is, this is to say, this was a, a bit of an uphill an uphill um, um, pattern for me. I looked back and said, you know, I, I saw some things that I liked, but a lot of things I'd like to move beyond. So how do I do that? How do I get, get to that place uh, um, uh, where that, that cherishing is really, is really there? I know that I had a little bit of a glimmer of that, I think. Uh, I had an opportunity when I was a day camp instructor. I was working with 10-year-olds, which, uh, which is a great age to have. It was great having all the other age groups we could compare with the other counselors. 10 years old was a great age. They're not yet rebellious, but they know how to dress themselves. It's perfect. Uh, and it just was wonderful working with them and helping, having, having them help teach me. And, uh, and I had some nice experiences just kind of drawing on, just kind of using some, some sense. Uh, one of the things that we had to do was clean up a particular area. One of the, one of the, one of the campfire sites had to be cleaned up uh, uh, at the end of some activity. And my group, my, my, uh, my group of kids, around 10 of them, uh, had that responsibility. And there was one kid who had a lot of behavioral problems. We knew that. And he was often very defiant. And I, 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 everyone was picking up, and he wasn't. He was refusing. And what I said to him is, I'll tell you what, I'm going to turn around. I'm going to walk to the other side of the space. And if you haven't begun by the time I get there and turn around, then I'm going to have to take you over to the, the cabin where the, one of the you know, senior adult, you know, older instructors was there to address that. And I think that opportunity to let him save face for not having to be stared down, I think made the difference because he had turned around and begun doing, doing those things. So a couple of early attempts to do that. Years later, I was a, um, a sailing camp instructor with, uh, with teenagers. Um, and then uh, uh, my first job out of college before I went to medical school was uh, working uh, uh, with disturbed teens uh, um, who had uh, uh, addictions of some kind and other kinds of mental illness. And what I found was, even though I didn't yet feel like a father figure, they certainly experienced me as a father figure. And, uh, and so that was a very much a crash course of what it can feel like to be, be seen 
by kids who had, you know, very unfortunate uh, um, parenting examples. I found that medical school and psychiatry was not all that helpful because the fact is that these, these trainings are about pathology, when things go bad. And I began to experience with that um, in that first job and then in my rotations, et cetera, I began to learn about when things go really bad, but not a whole lot about normal parenting. And so, you know, one of the rotations I did was pediatrics where I would help discharge uh, babies from the maternity ward. And of course the parents, you know, kind of with that, 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 that deer in the headlights look, which I soon came to know personally, um, <laughs> you know, they have lots and lots of questions. And we had a bit of a, uh, some handouts we could give them, but often they would have questions that went beyond that. And, uh, and I didn't have much to offer. I actually bought a book on, on parenting to try to bone up a little bit on it, but I could just tell a, a week after the kid was born, these parents were gonna know a lot more than I could hope to know. So I had a sense that, and ever since then, I think when I've been looked at as a psychiatrist as being some sort of a, 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 an authority figure about child development, I've all, I rarely give, a, I give some kind of an authoritative answer because I think, ask a parent. I mean, it's really a lot of what, what I've, uh, the stance that I've taken. I think that more important for me was the opportunity that, that I had starting uh, in the early years of medical school to undergo psychoanalysis, to have a chance to learn much more about myself and my own journey and, and, and to grow and to, to deepen my own maturity. That I found that I think that much more than the other things I've talked about was so, so helpful. And I think for me, it may have offered some, to fill some of the gaps that a lot of other folks who didn't, didn't have some of the challenges I did, I was able to make up for that lost time. I think there were times I felt like I was a little bit like a, uh, an immigrant to the U.S. who's studying for their citizenship. That I may perhaps have learned a few more details about certain things than, than folks who, who, who learned about, about you know, uh, role modeling of parenting didn't have to worry, you know, didn't worry about. On the other hand, I probably learned a lot of extraneous stuff as well. But I did find myself reading a lot about all these uh, various topics. So I decided at that time, and I was still in my, uh, my early mid-20s, that I didn't want to have children until first I felt that I had the emotional maturity to be able to be what they needed me to be. And there's no, you know, there's no mark that you reach, but I just knew that I wasn't there yet. And that also that I could celebrate their budding confidence and self-esteem without feeling envious. Because I felt that I had, needed, I had to, earn, to earn mine, and why should I get it so easily? And I knew that at that time, if I pictured myself having children, I could sense that that's how I might feel. And I decided that that was something that I was, opportunities weren't rolling in to become a parent, but I knew that if that did, <laughs> you know, I was going to want to take some time if I could um, to, really, to really think about that. Um, and... Part of what I thought about was, you know, what are children all about? What, what is this, this you know, how do we improve upon, you know, children should be seen and, and not heard? I mean, there were other underlying views about children that I had absorbed that I wanted to unlearn. You know, this idea of children becoming good, and you have to impose rules if you want that to happen, that you need religion to be good. Um, and so for me also, looking at myself, I'd say, well, I have some issues. Is it, because, is it my fault? Is it because I didn't work hard enough that I have some issues? I think that I ended up swinging the pedal in the other way and saying, you know, forget original sin. You know, children, children are a blank slate, and you nurture them well, they become good, and, and, and if you don't, they, they don't become good. I think over time that began to get a little challenged as I began to see and experience and read more and more about, about temperament and beginning to appreciate also on the flip side that 
Well, sure. I mean, maybe not, you wouldn't call it original sin, but sure, kids can be stinkers sometimes. But on the flip side, children can be warm and, and, and every bit as moral as adults. And I, I love reading new research that keeps coming out, talking about and, and, and showing through research about how, how children can show amazing abilities uh, um, um, to have already, already a moral sense. Some of you may have seen a recent article in the New York Times um, looking at, at, at where they look at little babies as young as eight months old and they show them a little puppet show and they show one little, one little puppet's trying to get over a hill and, and in one scenario another puppet comes and helps push him over the hill. A different puppet that looks different in a different version comes up and just gets up here and pushes him back down again. Then they finish the puppet show and then they show the two puppets, the helper puppet and, and the, the thwarting puppet and, and almost, to, almost 100% of them, you know, something like 90% of the, of the infants promptly choose the helper puppet. They have a sense of, you know, I want to be around people who treat others well. Um, that sense of, 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 of some level of innate morality, which, which for me rang true, and it certainly has rung true as I've become a parent myself. So when it comes to how to approach parenting, how does that approach to take some of those things into account? There was um, some research back in the 60s that looked at parenting styles. And there are a lot of ways to, 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 to slice this. But I think her approach was, I think, very effective. And I think her, the language she used has really entered the uh, popular lexicon. Her name is D uh, uh, Diana Baumrind, a clinical and developmental psychologist. And what she looked at were parenting styles along two dimensions. One dimension was, is the parent demanding or undemanding of the child? Demanding meaning the extent to which the parent expects more mature and responsible behavior from the child. Expect them to do a little better than they're doing now. Not necessarily a bad thing, but basically asking more of them. And then the other dimension was responsiveness. To what extent uh, does the parent respond to the child's needs? So if this is demanding and undemanding, and this is responsive and unresponsive, what she found that if you have a demanding and somewhat unresponsive pattern, she called that authoritarian. Now, I wouldn't say that my family was all the way on the end of the spectrum, but there's a lot of elements to that. You didn't negotiate the rules. There wasn't context to the rules. The rules were what the rules were, and one's needs didn't alter what those, what those rules were. Um, uh, um, and at times, somewhat unresponsive. On the other hand, you can have the opposite extreme, which where you have an undemanding situation and the parents are very responsive, which can produce an indulgent pattern where you really, anything goes and whatever the kid needs and, 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 and the rules can be modified to suit the kid's needs. And the, a later addition, which I don't think she included in her original organizational structure was this fourth one down here on the right where you have an unresponsive situation and it's undemanding and that's a neglectful environment where, where the child is just largely ignored. What she advocated for was a mixture where you have demands, where you do expect the child to have structure, to do better, but there's responsiveness to their needs at the same time. And she called that authoritative parenting, that the parents are authorities in the children's lives, but there is this kind of a give and take. So there is an anchor there, but also an understanding that, that the world is somewhat forgiving. <clears throat> so, as I became a psychiatrist, what I saw were 
pathological versions of the extremes, neglect, of course, and at times extreme authoritarian approaches that could, could lead to a rebellion that, that would get out of hand and, of course, and develop behavioral problems, uh, um, abuse, of course, etc. And also unpredictability, where you may have times when it's very structured, but times when it's completely not, and there's just no prediction of what will be there. Um, so parenting factors, I certainly have, have seen, have been factors, plenty of other factors, but it's something that, that I do try to watch and do try to, as much as I can, involve parents when I'm working with young people, try to avoid prescribing drugs if I really think there is a, a, a contextual issue going on and try to work with the parents in a non-judgmental way because one of the things, particularly since I've become a parent, I know the challenges that any parents face. I, I will never forget I was in a, uh, um, in a restaurant by myself eating and there's a woman one table over from me who, uh, uh, who was berating her children and then hit one of them. And I turned and I said, don't hit your children. And she looked at me in all honesty, without defensiveness, she said, what should I do instead? And I didn't have an answer ready. <laughs> I think I referred her to, you know, to, to some, some resources, but, but it's kind of a boilerplate response. But I think, that, that, I think that's, a, that's an important thing for, for, for me to remember, and all of us, I think, is that often there's a, there's a factor of ignorance in how to, how to move forward. In many conversations with my parents, especially my mother over the years, she often talks about the lack of resources that, that might have helped her become a more effective mom. Um, and, and I think that after some rocky times, it has really been a help to, to, to make those connections over recognizing the fact that we, we do our best and hope that our children can build on what we're able to give them down the road. So, after a couple possibilities along, along the way, uh, um, I met Abby, and, and the magical thing happened, and, uh, and, and we've become parents. Um, and I think that from the very beginning, the thing I wanted to try to avoid doing, having had memories of some version of the authoritarian approach, to really avoid swinging to the, the indulgent other end of the spectrum, because I, in my clinical work, I've seen that sometimes. So to say, no, not all structure is a bad thing, just because it was a little too much when I was growing up. Not all structure is a bad thing, and I certainly have seen that. So that's definitely something that I have been um, keeping conscious um, to myself. And it was a chance for me to read all those resources that I didn't have all that time to read when I was a pediatric rotation. So I highly recommend the uh, What to Expect series, What to Expect When You're Expecting, When to Expect in the First Year. I mean, just these basic books written just uh, with the wisdom of, of, of decades of experience, which you know, have been incredibly beneficial to know what's coming and to, and to uh, be ready for what's going to happen. I think the other thing that was very clear to me was it's different when it's your child. I think that I still, even after all this, this thinking and preparation, had a lot of trepidation about becoming a parent because it just seemed so daunting and so demanding and to draw so much energy, and I knew it, it, it would be like that. But what I also discovered is when it's your child, it's different. It really is different. And uh, I'll never forget uh, on the, uh, a few hours after Abby um, gave birth to Eleanor at the Bethesda Naval Hospital, um, I, I ran to the McDonald's on the base to, uh, to get something to eat. And as I was returning to the hospital with, with my bag of, uh, of lunch, um, I, I just had this sudden wave over me saying, my life will never be the same again. I mean. Two have become three, and, and it, is, it, is, it was such an overwhelming experience of a paradigm shift um, that has really stayed with me ever since. And I think that has really informed and supported that as, as things have moved forward. 
I wanted a son. And yet within six or six months of having Eleanor, girls are the default. <laughs> it, was, it was just so natural to have a girl, and I could imagine not having a girl. And so you have these, these experiences like that. Of course, it was wonderful to have a son, and we had James. Um, we did our second delivery at home. And I, not for everybody, I'm sure, but I highly recommend it. It was, uh, it was an incredible experience because it even more deeply makes the arrival of a child be part of the fabric of your lives. It demedicalizes what doesn't necessarily have to be a medical procedure. It's so wonderful to have Maury doing our, our music today. Because it, because it to be able to, to within, you know, we, we uh, um, uh, Abby delivered James around dinner time, and our, our daughter went to one of her, one of her, little, her little neighbors, uh, um, a child the same age, and had dinner with them. And within an hour or so of the delivery, uh, which went just smoothly, she's able to come back and join us and meet her little brother, and then we all had dinner. I mean, it was really a wonderful personal and connecting experience from, from beginning to end. One of the things that I never expected in reading and thinking about this was the idea of experience, of the experience of parenting as a day-to-day thing with new challenges emerging every day as the children get older and as we get older. Um, How much a part of being a parent that is. I mean, it seems silly to look back on it, but I think somehow I thought that, you know, when I was always kind of a little nervous about holding a child before I became a parent, that somehow I would be, I would be uh, um, changing Eleanor's first diaper um, or trying to pick her up. And she'd look up at me and say, this is your first time doing this, isn't it? <laughs> it's not how it's done. Put your hand here. You know? it's, that, it's, that's the thing that I've really seen is that, that we're all learning together. They're learning how to be babies and how to be toddlers. And, how to, and we're learning along with them how to help them be babies, help them be toddlers. Um, and it is that amazing give and take that it's an evolving system. I mean, I've seen that on the negative side too, that you can have a system that evolves right off a cliff. And the trick of trying to turn that around is a challenge. But when it's, it's working in a more positive way, when you have the ability to listen to that responsiveness, um, you don't lose your anchor, but you have the ability to be responsive to what you're seeing in front of you. It, it's, it's a learning system that grows as everyone who's a part of it grows, and it, and, it, and it gets richer and richer. And I find myself, Eleanor will challenge me to do something or, or ask me a question, and, I, and I'll say something, and afterwards it'll seem, just seem like the right thing to say. And I'll think back for a second and say, how did I think of that? You know, where did that come from? And I, when I just keep realizing is it just comes from your heart. If your heart's in it, it comes from your heart, and it makes it a lot easier. I don't have to be keep flipping pages. There's a time for that, of course. I mean, trying to figure out when the sweet spot is to put a baby down to sleep. I mean, that's, that's an, a never-ending challenge to get, that, to get that right. But it has been, it has been an opportunity to, to try out some ideas and see what works. Um, rewards and punishments, especially the rewards, they, they work. Ignoring the bad stuff, paying a lot of attention to the good stuff, has been incredibly powerful. Um, I've tried to make yes the default answer to requests we have. I think in my family growing up, the answer tended to be no unless uh, the case could be made for yes. It just seemed to be the default. Not always, of course, but 
I really try to turn that around and say, okay, um, I'm going to have to figure an argument to myself of why I can't say yes. Um, because I really want the kids to know what are the important battles and which are not. Choosing, choosing your battles, I think, is such a key aspect because if you make everything a battle, then it's hard to ever pick out the more important ones. Whereas if you choose your battles carefully, if you choose the, where you put your foot down, I think the message gets sent that this one's important. And, and there's plenty of other times you build up, you build up a, a repository of goodwill with, with yes. So that when no comes, I think it's a little easier to, to, to uh, um, enforce and to, and to hold, hold kids to. I've discovered the value of the philosophy of Friedrich Nietzsche for parenting. Everything is about a will to power. So whatever, I, whatever power I can give away, I try to do so. You want to do it yourself? Fine. You want to figure out the buttons even though it takes 20 minutes? They're your buttons. Whatever power I can give away, it's kind of a part of the power, the power of yes. Of course, any of you who know much about Nietzsche, Nietzsche said that the, the person with the true power knows when they can give it away. And so that is the truly powerful person is the one who is able to... Never, nevertheless, I, I, it, it has been another theme that I think, uh, right along with the power of yes, is, is, is to, that by, by sharing power, by sharing love, by sharing power, everyone feels more in control. Um, and everyone feels more heard, more, more able to, to get what they want. Part of that, I think, is letting them, playing dumb and letting them figure it out for, for me. I, uh, um, having gone through psychoanalysis uh, and, and read a little bit of Freud, I mean, I, I mean, it was all ready for, you know, the electric complex and the Oedipal complex, etc. It's been a little, little underwhelming, you know. So we had a little bit of the, Daddy, let's get married. But, uh, but yesterday morning, I think it was, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be the baby crab and, 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 and Mommy's going to be the Mommy crab and Daddy's going to be the Daddy crab. So, you know, so, so much for, for some, of that, some of that drama. Um, so I wanted to return to the question of, of fatherhood and motherhood. It, is fatherhood simply parenting while male? Um, and I think that yes and no. I mean, I think that, that in many ways being a really effective father means learning and growing to do some of the things that mothers have always known. Um, I think at the same time men have something unique to bring and at the same time, I think there are, there are trade-offs and, and divisions uh, um, that may naturally emerge given, given the styles uh, of the parents, which often track with gender. I do know that in, uh, in my own family that, that I think that uh, um, it does seem to ring true uh, uh, what Amanda said in her platform on Father's Day last year, that, that uh, um, mom's the cafeteria and dad is the playground. I think there is some truth to that. Um, um, and at the same time, I think also, I think that, that I do find that I need my space at times. But on the flip, time, flip side, I'm working part-time, Abby's working full-time, so we, we've tried as many more men. Uh, it's funny how a lot of articles about 
fathering have just emerged just recently, which has been very, very interesting to read about. Uh, a lot of trends towards you know, greater you know, work-home balance that are, that are challenging um, men these days, that have challenged women for a couple of decades now, that more men are doing the things that, that I, um, we have found we are doing as well. There is an office next to one of my clinics that I go to up in Gaithersburg, and I walk past the door, and it's, it's called the, the National Fatherhood Initiative. Uh, and um, I, I thought perhaps this might have been some sort of a, an organization seeking to fight for men's custody. Something about it just seemed like it was a little, a little bit, I don't know. But in any case, um, for fun, uh, um, in preparation for this platform, I googled the word fatherhood. And that was at the top of the, of the list of search terms, right there in, right there in, in Germantown. Uh, and it was a wonderful website, just a wonderful resource, really just encouraging dads to be involved in their lives. And so I decided to look and see what they talk about, about being a good dad. What do they say being a good dad looks like? Um, and really it came down to you want to bond with your son, play sports with him, watch sports together, teach him skills, enjoy a meal together. Uh, if your daughter enjoys shopping, go shopping with her, engage in a hobby with her, have a meal together. Not anything terribly rocket science here. I mean, I think basically being a good father is about connecting with your kids where they're at. So, so I don't, I, I still have an open question for me about the particular unique thing that a male father style interaction with a child is uniquely providing. If nothing else than simply perhaps, I suppose, just giving a balance in our culture, there are different approaches to life in our culture that tend to be gendered, and if kids are exposed to the variety of ways of approaching life, then I think you enrich the, your children's lives. I think that you, you get them ready for what their lives are going to entail um, as they uh, get older and as they find their own place in the world. So I think that in conclusion, what I would say that parenting has been a lot of work but it has been so worth it. I think I have grown so much as our children have grown so much. I think that the books I've read and the tips from neighbors, etc., has been helpful, but, but my own growth in preparation for being a father, I think, was a huge, a huge first uh, step that made the nuts and bolts easier to use down the road. Clearly, for me, it takes a village. I mean, as most of you know, I met Abby here. We got married here. Our kids consider this place an extended part of their home. It is such a powerful contributor to the quality of our lives. If having a community that knows our children, that our children know, it's also true in our co-housing community of, uh, of how there are people they trust and they know and other kids that they've gotten to know in their, in their, in their close neighborhood. Uh, I want to say hi to Ed and Joan, two of my neighbors who came to, to hear us speak. Um, and I would say that I look forward, when my children are grown, that I can be a similar presence in the lives of other children that will be coming up in the future within our own West community. Thank you very much.